everybody, and welcome to episode six of the Making Madden podcast. I'm Tom Lischke, franchise producer, and with me is Andre Weingarten, franchise designer and ESPN frontman. <laughs> this week, we have gameplay producer and ESPN superstar Clint Oldenburg back with us, along with senior designer Nick Farah to go over the changes that we made from the community play test feedback in both franchise and gameplay. So let's get into it. Uh, Clinton, Nick, welcome, and thanks for being on our guests on the podcast today. Yes, thank you. Uh, we love when gameplay has a few folks with you all today to join the franchise talk. Kind of counterbalancing it out a little bit this time, huh? Yeah, Nick, why don't you say a few words? I mean, I feel a little feel a little outclassed with all these ESPN megastars around me. Wow. We'll, we'll, we'll hold our own, Nick. It'll be okay. Just the guy that makes video games. I know. Well, well I've, I've got a face made for radio, so I'm, I'm happy to not be out there on network TV. But uh, You've got this yeah. great broadcasting host voice, though. You know? well, thank, thanks, so buddy. So maybe they talk. Appreciate it. <laughs> yes, that that's Nick. Hello. Well, welcome, Nick. <laughs> Happy to be here. So let's get into it. You know, we just wrapped up the community playtest not so long ago. We saw big numbers come through in playing the game. For me, it's really, you know, that's an exciting time of year. We've been working all year long and now we've been playing the game and it kind of feels like we're off and isolated and doing it. We're doing our best. But that first chance to share the game with with the gamers, let them play it and get us some feedback. We did it a little differently this year. I think it was sooner and more raw. A lot of the discussion that we had going into it this year is how, what do we call it? Because in past years, we framed it as a beta. Beta implies, you know, you're really close to the finished product. There's not really time to make changes or take feedback or do very much. Maybe you fix a few bugs. This year, even the title changed, and that was one of the things that that we talked a lot about. Well, we got to call it something different. We're giving gamers a version of the game that's much earlier in the dev cycle, and it might not have felt that much earlier because it was in the summer, but the difference of a couple of weeks or even a month is a big difference that time of year in terms of what we can really take out of that play session and the feedback we get. So, you know, Clint, I know next-gen player movement was a big piece of the focus this year. So uh, what did you see in the playtest? What do you think about how it was used and the feedback we got? Yeah, so first, uh, I want to start by saying thank you to all the players who participated in the playtest. Y'all out there don't know how important it is for us to get real-world feedback for all the stuff we've been building. You know, bugs aside, like Tom said, it was really early, and we wanted to make sure that we had enough time to react to the feedback, and y'all really supplied us with a lot of great feedback. So to answer your question directly, Tom, relative to player movement, for the second year in a row, now that we're on, on Generation 5 consoles, it was one of the most voted topics of the playtest. There was um, almost 500 different votes about next-gen player movement, and it ran the whole spectrum. When I say votes, it wasn't just upvotes, it wasn't just downvotes, it was both. It ran the whole spectrum of player movement feels too slow, all the way to player movement is really authentic, I love it, don't change it. And so it's quite polarizing, and, and we really expected that because there's a lot of players that are experiencing Gen 5 for the first time this year. And one thing that we wanted to make sure to tell our players is that while there's a lot of feedback in there that's super valuable that we tuned, like separating faster players and slower players, we believe that next-gen player movement, which is built on the back of data, next-gen stats coming from the NFL fields, is what's best for our players and what's best for our game. So there's not going to be a massive pivot in our model of player movement for Madden 23. However, like I said, we, we are going to continue to tune and take feedback to improve what's there. 
We know it's a significant change from what everyone's used to on Gen 4, especially on the defensive side of the ball, but we think it provides a more balanced and realistic gameplay experience. And then, it, you know, I'm going to stop talking so much now, but there are a few notes on player movement I want to make sure that we're able to tell the players, uh, but I want to let Andre and Tom jump in here before I take up all of our airspace. We'll jump in, Andre. <laughs> you did the exact thing in the production meeting you told us not to do, Clint, to put both names out there. But, yeah, uh, yeah I mean, from uh, the franchise side and from just seeing how you guys have built that, I think next-gen player movement obviously does benefit things because I, I know you haven't talked about it much, but, I mean, even the animations, right, things like tackling, the way that players interact with each other, it opens up so many more possibilities when players are moving at a more authentic speed, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and when I'm talking about player movement here, I'm talking specifically about locomotion, how players run, turn, accelerate, decelerate. But it's like, to your point, it's a larger system where all of these things move, work together and move together when we talk about tackling and blocking and catching. Um, it's all built on top of that movement system. And one of the things that I wanted to make sure that we were really clear about with our players is mastering the usage of the the acceleration burst mechanic, the right trigger or R2 button on the controller. There was some feedback from the playtest that it felt very sluggish to turn. And that is intentional if you're trying to turn while also trying to accelerate. A lot of a lot of players believe that that mechanic is speed boost. It's not. Every player has a speed rating that governs their top speed. What it is an, is an acceleration boost. And if you're trying to turn while accelerating, you're going to get a car turn in most cases. If you want a sharp, more efficient turn, you have to let go of that mechanic so you can actually plant your foot and cut. And there's some interplay there, and there's a little bit of skill that players need to get used to. And trust me, we're all the same. When we play, we want to just hold that button down and run as fast as we can all the time. If you're trying to make very efficient cuts behind the line of scrimmage as a running back or cut up the field after a catch, you're going to want to let go of that button to get the most effective sharp turn that you can. And I think I think part of it with next-gen player movement was described to me in the, in the transition to Gen 5 and the philosophy that we're taking on. We hear the word slow over and over again, and I think compared to Gen 4, it, it can feel that way. But one of the philosophies was really opening up windows for the gamers to show skill. I think Gen 4 happens so fast, you you almost have to like be anticipating what's about to happen and give your inputs. But Gen 5 opens up these windows where I can actually give input while the play is developing. It was interesting when, when we were building it out and talking about it, to me anyways, like, well, the plays are happening faster than they actually, that was the next-gen player movement part, right? Like the actual next-gen stats and pinning to what yeah. happens on the field. Like, and it, and it, it's so fast in terms of a single NFL play that it's hard to tell. But, you know, if you're 15% too fast, then you're making decisions faster than even NFL players have to make them. That doesn't feel right. So slowing it down a little bit to get it back to human speed was a big change. And it, it does take some getting used to, but it does open those windows. It wasn't just slowing slowing down. It was, it was resetting expectations. Over the course of Gen 3 and Gen 4, every time there was a responsiveness issue that we were trying to address, usually what we would do is just like speed something up, scale the animation, make right. it move faster, make it more twitchy. And over time, it, it created some really unrealistic expectations in our football sim. For example, one of the more frustrating things for a number of our players was 
a user defender on defense could grab a middle linebacker with average speed and cover three or four routes in the middle of the field because he could accelerate through his turns and, and kind of run all over the field. And that become an expectation of Madden that when we watched it on streams or, or played it ourselves, it didn't, it wasn't authentic. And so that's just one of the more glaring examples of, of why next gen player movement we think is going to provide a more realistic experience and while you could call it slowed down, I, pr- I prefer to think of it as more authentic. Yeah. And I mean, just from personal experience watching, you know, and, and playing on next gen, you really, as a defender, have to be anticipatory the same way that NFL players are. As a linebacker, you can't just react to everything. You have to kind of understand what's happening around you and be able to make those moves. And when you do, it's it's really gratifying. But I, I know that previously we've already kind of promoted the idea of not just holding down that right trigger R2 button, especially as a running back behind the line based on the way that running works and the cutback lanes, et cetera. So I think that's kind of expanded out towards the, to the larger game, right, Clint? Yeah, absolutely. More strategy. And, and to Tom's point, in addition with the more authentic game speed, what he's trying to say and what we we would like to do is give players more opportunity to have that anticipation you're referring to. You know, prior the game was moving so fast, even on the sticks, you were forced to be kind of uh, reactionary and couldn't anticipate because you didn't have enough time to kind of make an informed decision. So moving at a real speed will let you feel more like an NFL superstar on the field. One, one of the side effects that's interesting to me that I've seen people talking about is it, it brings defensive strategy back into it a little bit because you can't just cover up bad strategy with a super linebacker being everywhere at once. I mean, we still want skilled on the sticks to be important for that player. And I think it's there. It's just, it doesn't, it doesn't like the balance has shifted. It's not just so much based on what that, what that linebacker can do. It it moves a little bit back towards play calling and adjustments and covering it up. So I think that takes us back in the right direction towards authenticity there. But it's never going to not be important to be great on your user yeah. and, and, and secure the tackle or to jump to the right spot in coverage or whatever. And you know, sticking in the in the realm of authenticity and Nick, there was plenty of feedback right around gunslinger and quarterback releases. Why don't you talk about uh, that area where we what changes we made or you know what feedback we got? I mean, I was enjoying you know listening to the soothing sounds of Clint's voice, but uh, <laughs> I'm happy. I'm happy to. Enlighten some people on the gunslinger debate. I mean, we we definitely heard the feedback around gunslinger. Like, it is a strong ability. It's very powerful. For those who don't know what it does, it slightly increases the animation speed of your passes. So you'll release the ball a little bit earlier. And it also increases the velocity of the ball once you release it. So this allows players to kind of make some plays and hit some windows that they wouldn't maybe otherwise be able to, to the point where some people feel like they kind of need to have the ability to execute their strategy. And, you know, we don't love any ability feeling mandatory on the ability design side. So we might investigate some ways to kind of, I don't want to say nerf, but like change the way that Gunslinger works so that it you don't feel compelled to take it. And back to what Clint was talking about with realism, like we have QBs who, you know, have very different release timings, right? Yep. They they throw the ball faster or slower than others, much like the real humans in the NFL throw the ball slower or faster than one another. 
this is by design. You know, we, we want quarterbacks to feel different based on their stats. Now, the, the aspects of Gunslinger are that it can be a Band-Aid. It can improve a somewhat slow quarterback's release timings to something much better, easier to play with. It feels better. You know, maybe you avoid sacks. Maybe you hit windows that you couldn't hit before. So we're, we're looking at options. Uh, we're trying to see maybe we tie some of that velocity into the throw power rating and take it away from gunslinger maybe we look at some of the uh the other issues around not throwing quite as fast and missing those windows but you know we hear you we're looking at options we're not really ready to commit to any sort of plan or anything yet but we're definitely keeping an eye on it yeah and and just to be clear i want to dogpile here what nick's saying about gunslinger we've heard the feedback from players, especially the competitive players who want to see more variety in the teams chosen and the players used for competitive events. We are still formulating a plan of attack so that there likely won't be much of a change at launch outside of we are going to distribute the gunslinger ability to more quarterbacks. Outside of that, it'll be later in a a title update um, when we release more info about gunslinger and throw releases. I think one of the interesting points on the debate about gunslinger and the releases is that they're in tiers. So even if outside of you know Aaron Rodgers, which I think everybody knows has one of the fastest releases in the game, most of the signature or all of the other signature passing styles have the same exact timing. Regardless of what people feel about it, they are down to the exact frame, exactly the same for each depth, et cetera. So, I mean, it, it's similar. And timing those up, they're still pretty much significantly faster than how actual NFL quarterbacks throw the football. NFL quarterbacks throw the ball on average around 0.41 seconds on their release. And we're much faster than that, even with the, the signature and even generic. Right. And I know sometimes it, you know, it feels like it's taking ages to get the pass out when you've got a pass rusher screaming at you. But the goal here, like you said, is to, to hit as close to an authentic pass release timing as we can and to have tiers and like you said you know a lot of the tiers like Aaron Rodgers there are other people that throw the ball as fast as him if you take gunslinger out of the equation and gunslinger is a relatively small boost but when you're talking competitive players every millisecond counts you know water finds a crack they're gonna optimize as much as possible to try to get the win and you know we can't blame them for that that's always gonna happen no, and it'll be interesting to see. I know that's like you said, like you guys said, that's going to be a big topic of discussion. What's the rest of the meta that forms up around pass rush, and you know how much time do you really have? Is it important? What role will the scrambling quarterbacks play this year in terms of power by comparison? So, not moving too fast on it and letting the rest of the meta, you know, kind of emerge and then form up and then making decisions with the rest of the meta defined is an, is an important piece for the competitive side of things. We, we try not to be too reactionary because then you end up chasing all year. And I think if we look back in history, you've seen some years where we ended up chasing the meta all year. So, you know, just having talked with you, Clint, it's the, the philosophy lately has been to be more cautious. Everybody's playing with the same game pieces. So from a certain respect, it's fair, but we always do want to have a variety of choices as people go through and you want to see some different options on the teams that get deployed out there ideally. So, but, but it is a, you know, at least right now heard the feedback we're watching, but a little bit wait and see 
to see what the meta forms up once the whole game's out there for a while. Absolutely. Moving on to one of the hot button issues. I think these have already been, but this is one that has been kind of talked about quite a bit in years past. Catching. Clint, I know that it wasn't necessarily complete in the playtest. So what do you have on the changes to catching for Madden 22? Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about catching in this uh, podcast because I think there's some important things for our players to know. But like you said, it's one of the, if not the most critical system in our game, catching and outside of uh, player movement, one of the other really voted upon pieces of feedback from the play test, over 500 votes on all things catching. The top pieces of feedback were receivers and DBs need more aggressiveness in attacking the ball. Defenders don't always go for the interception or play the right animation when in position. And catch mechanics don't always feel as responsive as we would expect. Those are kind of the top through that bubble to the top through that feedback. And now I want to be really clear with our players. Catching certainly was not in a beta state during the play test. It was pretty early. We knew that there were a number of issues in it. But what we wanted to get feedback on was our shift away from multiplayer catches. When I talk about multiplayer catches, I'm talking about those scenarios where both the defender and the offensive guy enter into an interaction and then for lack of a better word, you kind of watch that play out until the branch point at which one or both players get control back. We have uh, decreased the frequency of those interactions happening in our game and are leaning more on what we call single player catches where both the defender and the receiver are independent. They're not entering an interaction together. And then they, they are basically either going to play the receiver, play the ball. If you're on defense, go up and try to catch the ball independent of each other. And then at which point we can play, Things like catch tackles, which is a different version of a multiplayer interaction, but it's later. It's after the catch. And the feedback on that was pretty positive. But the thing that I want to tell our players the most is where we are on our journey with our catching tech. We have to make some choices here. And I wish we didn't have to make the choice, but multiplayer catches visually is going to look a lot better, but not be as responsive and leave the player in control as much as they want. That's where we were the last several years we aimed for more control across the field this year and that's why we strategically decided to go back to more single player catches with that comes some visual inaccuracies it's not always going to look as good as a multiplayer catch but it will leave you feeling like you're in control of the outcome in every one of those situations i want to be really clear on that just to set proper expectations for our players and then in addition to that there's a lot of work that has been done for launch, that's going to improve aggressiveness at the catch point for both offense and defense. And we did some work around catch heights to make the max height that a receiver or defender could jump to match a catch more appropriate to their ratings and their height. And then lastly, the other change that we want to make sure players are are aware of is the SWAT thresholds have been increased. So now swatting the ball as a defensive player is going to, be more effective and more conservative than always playing the ball. Since we are doing single player catches, if you go for the interception every time on defense, you do have a, a higher chance to just miss the ball because you're not going to be able to match that multiplayer interaction. But if you swat, the range of the swats have been increased, so you'd be more likely to knock the ball down. Sorry about all those words. I hope that all makes sense, guys. <laughs> no, it, it makes a ton of sense. And I think the the max height 
and being able to match and and knowing when to swat versus always going for the interception. Those are huge, huge pieces of information for people. From a visual perspective, I'm kind of interested in what you mean by that, just because I know that one of the things, one of the pieces of feedback I've seen is that multiplayer catches visually didn't always feel great either. You know, there wouldn't be meshing or things like that, but getting locked in, they didn't always look right and there was some repetition there. So when you say visually that it might be different. What, what did you mean by that? Well, the, the big visual detractor for multiplayer catches was warping. And there, mm-hmm. in some cases, they would slide into position and that, that would make them look bad. But once we were in the interaction, both players looked like they were aware of each other. The outcome was contextually appropriate to the animation that played, so on and so forth. We're still going to have those, but we only want them in certain situations. So you'll see those more rarely. Mm-hmm. With these single-player catches, what the visual the visual issues that you could come across, let's say there's a defender behind a receiver and both guys are jumping up to catch the ball. They're both jumping up to catch the ball at their optimum catch point. And so the defender may get it intercepted in front of him by the offensive guy and not really like try to make a play towards the receiver until he lands back on his feet if you were playing the ball. So he may look unaware that a guy's catching it right in front of him, but that's because we want to keep you in control and not just warp you right into an interaction that may or may not have matched the button that you pressed. Yeah, that's been like stepping back a step. That's been one of the big discussion topics for years. And I think it always will be is, you know, visual fidelity versus control in which do you value more as a sports game? So I'm personally have been on the side of control, even if you have to take some hits around it looking perfect as it comes together. And of course, we'll always do everything we can to make it look as good as it can be. But slowing everything down that little bit and then that we talked about in terms of next gen stat speeds and then giving more control back to the gamer. Like I think, at least from a competitive point of view, I'd be super excited that I can now show my skills on the sticks in those catch point interactions in a way that's a little bit tougher before in previous years. So I'm excited to see that journey. I want to jump Nick in. Tell us your thoughts, Nick. I was just about to tell you my thoughts. Just, just <laughs> Goomba stomped right on top of me. Uh, yeah, it, you're a hundred percent right, Tom. Like it's, it's the eternal struggle for creating sports games of trying to hit like the best visual fidelity and like crispest looking animations that you can while also having it control as fluidly as possible. And those two things are usually at complete odds with one another, right? Like the better it looks, often the worse it feels and vice versa. You know, the full human joystick treatment where I touch the stick and the guy moves on the same frame doesn't look human at all. You know, it's not believable. There's clipping and stuff, but it feels great. So a lot of the times we're kind of just like waiting on new technology, new developments that can help fix that. Like, you know, the stuff we use for next gen player movement is an example of that. It helps us better tune that slider between like feeling good and looking good. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a struggle. And I think that we're definitely improving year over year, but it's kind of a decision we have to make when we're dealing with any feature, right? This might look amazing, but doesn't feel good. You know, we can't really drop it in. I would say that's probably something that franchise has to do as well. Not in the 
in the balance of visual quality versus feel. But I mean, even for authenticity features, there's that line that you have to walk between something that is truly authentic and something that's entertaining and exciting to engage with as a as a gamer, right? Like there's anytime authenticity is something that you're tr- kind of chasing. There's a line between what is truly authentic and what is authentic in a fun way for for people to engage with. So yeah, I live on that line. We all do, really. That's the that's the big challenge. And how do you how do you bring authenticity is the best value add that it can be. And it should always feel authentic, but how much control and how much fun do you have to fight back into it if it if authenticity would pull you away? Yeah, in in a perfect world, we'd want to do both. We'd yeah, want to do all for sure. and do them well. And especially in a sports game, right? Like what makes it really hard is these awesome NFL athletes every weekend are doing something new that we've never seen. And people are sending us videos saying, why don't you have this in our game? And we're sitting here saying, we would love to put that in our game. We got to figure out how. <laughs> yeah. This has never been done before until yeah. this very moment in time. Right. Yes, we do not have that yet. We had no humans to do that. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the OBJ catch from a few years ago, right? Like what, what yeah. just happened? So, okay, yeah. we got to figure out how to get that in the game now. So, and maybe we went a little too far with it's in the game. Yeah. And it's in the game a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, speaking of being in the game, Nick, why don't we take a look at some of the momentum stuff that we did in terms of tuning, especially for competitive modes? Sure. So originally we talked about some of our initial reveals that for the dynamic or the game day momentum system, we would have maybe some different tuning or how momentum accrues in competitive formats versus in your franchise against the AI. We built a completely different formula for momentum for competitive. And, you know, we, we tested it and, and we tried it out. And we really don't feel like it's at a spot where it is good enough. Like, we don't think it's as good as the normal momentum formula that we use. And it's kind of not ready for prime time yet. So we are planning on making some adjustments to how momentum accrues in competitive. But we're probably leaning more away from the formula being derived solely from stick skills and user actions and putting it more in just a scaled down version of the standard formula. The user-based formula, it got kind of weird. You know, you'd, you'd get into some inconsistencies where the game wasn't lined up from a score perspective and a true momentum perspective with what people were doing on the sticks. Like it, it just didn't feel good enough. Yeah. I think that for competitive, that's always one of the interesting things. Like we talk about fun and we talk about authentic and now we have to talk about uh, fair and like completely zero sum fair from the beginning to end at times getting in those momentum is a completely authentic feature that we, you know, that portrays what happens and what it feels like to be in the stadium. And you, you watch the teams and how they're playing and you just, you feel like a team feels like they've earned some advantages. And we portray that very transparently in the game system, making sure that that translates for the, the competitors is really important and, and difficult to do. So that's one of the more interesting design challenges. So it's, it's good to hear we're taking a, taking a beat on that one, I guess, and waiting and seeing, thinking for about sure. it a little bit more until we're really comfortable that we're giving them a truly consistent environment to, so they can be testing their skills and, and have that all play out as it should. Right. And the the feedback from the beta was largely that, if anything, 
in competitive environments, they felt like maybe momentum moved a little fast. There wasn't really any feedback around the actions that accrued it, right? Why it went up. Like nobody really had a hard time grasping that. It all just kind of clicked and resonated with people like that. This makes sense. It goes up when I think it should, and it goes down when I think it should. So if anything, you know, we'll just tweak that rate a bit in competitive environments. Speaking of competitive balance, Nick, and as as you are the lead designer for the Dynamic Game Day feature for Madden 22, can you tell our players how you built the system so that the momentum modifiers, the M factors, can be customized per mode? Absolutely. Yeah, and this is really something that I kind of did as a favor to myself than anything else, but made this feature incredibly configurable. So every mode within Madden can use M factors and game day conditions however they see fit. If you go into a... On the dev side. On the dev on side. The dev side yes. Not on the user side. Sorry, guys. Maybe in a few years. Who knows? So if you go into a regular exhibition game, you know we have gameplay logic that looks at what's going on in your game. Is it snowy? Is this a rivalry? Et cetera. And it picks game day conditions that make sense for that game. And it picks M factors based on, you know, some weights that we have internally to decide how often they should show up. You go into MUT, the MUT team is entirely in control of what M factors and what game day conditions you get. So if there's some that they decide are not great for a competitive environment, they don't have to use them. They will use the ones that resonate with the competitive player base that the, the player base enjoys having around and feels like add to the competition in a fair way. And the ones that they feel like are, you know, maybe too stressful in a competitive environment where you're, you know, really sweating it out against somebody else who's at your skill level, uh, they just won't show those up. So same holds true for, you know, how franchise uses them and, you know, how they might manifest in the yard. It's really... A pretty great deal. Gotcha. I think we have one more topic uh, that I'm curious about. Clint, how, how do you think playbooks are coming together? You know, with what you see in the community playtest, or or where we want to take it as we go into full launch. Yeah, Tom, always bringing the heat as a man of the people. I know our players care a lot about playbooks, so thanks. For yeah, they do. Up. As we saw, like there was two builds of the playtest. We had like the week one build and the week two build. And the week one build, it was feedback around. Our playbooks being changed, there's not really a bunch here. We knew that playbooks weren't done yet. By week two, playbooks got a pretty significant upgrade in the playtest. And that was maybe about 50 to 60% of what we're going to have to offer at launch. All 32 NFL team playbooks, both offensive and defensively, have been upgraded and updated for launch. And then what we're most excited about, and I know a lot of the folks who were looking forward to live playbooks last year, um, we do have a, an aggressive title update plan to get more, a lot more playbook content in for every one of our title updates. And we're going to have a lot more to share on the details there in an upcoming gridiron notes here in uh, a few weeks that are going to detail out all of the new stuff in playbooks. That's fantastic. I know that, I'm, you know, talking about the authenticity versus the fun thing, playbooks are literally the authenticity side of things, right? Where we're taking plays that we see on the field on Sundays and incorporating those into the playbooks frequently. So I'm sure plenty of people are going to be very excited to hear about those live updates, especially for teams with new coordinators or coaches, right? I mean, you can get the wrinkles in general, but when you have a guy who's never called plays before, 
now in charge of that, you know, there's definitely going to be some differences between what they run week one and what they run week six. Yeah, that's always a, a big focus of, of A-dubs. You know, everyone knows Anthony White. He's our playbook guru here. The first thing we always do is look at the coaching changes. And, and what he does immediately is go watch his film of their previous stop to kind of line out their base playbook. And then once the season starts, we'll continue updating updating their new schemes via live playbooks. But we, we really made an effort this year to talk with players, talk with community members about what they want in playbooks. And we've been very aggressive at, at bringing not only real stuff, but fun stuff and more variety across all of our playbooks. And we're really excited to see what players are going to think once they get their hands on it come August 20th. Nice. Okay. Yeah, thanks, Scott. Is there anything else you guys want to talk about on the gameplay front in terms of the community play test or coming up into the launch window? I think there's just one, one small detail I'd cover, and I'll do it very quickly. I know I've talked way too much today, but it comes up you know, every year about this time. People ask them about D-line stunts and twists. They want stunts and twists in the game. I want stunts and twists in the game. They're a big part of strategy in the real-world NFL. They're not going to make an appearance in 22. They're still on our radar, on our roadmap. We want to do it, but we want to do it right. If, if we wanted to bring in stunts and twists as purely visual and just tell one guy to run one way and another guy to loop around and go the other way with no impact to the game, um, we could probably do that, but it would be a very superficial feature. And, and to do it the right way, it touches a number of things. It touches run blocking AI, pass blocking AI, obviously run fits and defensive gaps. There's a ton of new animation coverage that you need. Then you have to balance it. Then you have to figure out what to do with preplay mechanics. You know, there's all these different systems that go into making stunts and twists. And I just want to acknowledge the feedback from our players. We know it's important to you. It's important to us. We want to be able to deliver it when we know we can deliver a, a full user-facing feature that surprises and delights and meets expectations. And that's just not, you know, based on our timelines, that's just not going to be a thing this year. But it did come up a lot in the playtest feedback, so I wanted to make sure to address that. Yeah, makes sense. We'll, we'll talk about it. There's one that came out in the franchise feedback that we'll talk about at the end that's in a similar vein, like some, something that we're super excited about, but oh, we want to make sure we get it right. So with that, stick around for uh, Andre and I talking about the franchise part of the community tape playtest, if you like. But we're going to move on to that part of the game and uh, and give a little update on what we saw and what we were doing about it. So, Andre, do you want to jump in and yeah, into let, the first one? Yeah, let's do it. So starting off with the staff management and or franchise staff and coach talents, we adjusted the cost of pretty much all of the coach talents based on the community playtest feedback regarding, you know, certain talents were m- more powerful than others. So I guess from the the very beginning for head coach and player personnel, because those characters don't fundamentally leave your team, especially in coach mode, the base talents are going to be more expensive in that. Across the board, we made the talents for the ultimate and renewable talents significantly higher, scaled based on their power level. So You might see some as a base of 30 staff points. Some might be up to 50 staff points as a base. And then you still have that league setting that can adjust those up or down to really make them powerful. But we wanted to better separate out what is the most impactful to your experience and make those a little bit more expensive right out of the gate. Yeah, and that's changed from the baseline. I believe in the the community playtest, everything cost about 10 staff points. Yep, everything uh, is 10. Yep. And so that was the the final tuning. Well, at least the launch tuning. We're still going to be watching that really closely. It's a big system. It's a new system. So clearly we're going to have to keep an eye onto it. 
an eye on it and see which talents are popular, which ones turn out to be powerful, like which is a little bit of the data we can look at is if a team has this talent purchased, are they more or less likely to get a win than some other talents and get a power curve per talent just to make that part of our system tuning and such. So I know fatigue tuning was a, was a topic that we saw feedback on. Definitely a system that we're, that we're going to continue to work on too. It's, it's an interesting one. It's cool that we can replicate. I know that like we've talked about in the past, like load management being part of the NFL now more prevalent all the time. So seeing the impact on team, you know, the choices we're making in terms of, you know, leveling up your players versus resting them so that they're at full power or as close to full power as they go into games. Well, we got a bunch of feedback and, uh, and made some yeah. tuning tweaks to that, right? Yeah, it was a little drastic in the community play test. So we just worked and refined that, made sure that we worked out any bugs that were centered around it and made it a little bit more logical in those terms. Yep. So it's just, I mean, we, we want to have that curve where the beginning of the year, maybe you have a little bit of extra fuel in the tank that you could choose to spend on trying to level up some of your players, get them more experience via training. But it's a choice. If you start doing that, they'll be at more, more at risk of wearing down sooner throughout the course of the season. So keep an eye on it. Give us feedback. We're, we're very interested in that one. Free agency is another area. I think we felt it was a little bit raw going into the community play test. And there's a tuning pass that definitely has gone in and will show up in the launch window. Yep. You know, just making sure that teams are better at who they're offering money to, what they're offering players accepting. You know, just really going through and mitigating that. We were a little bit more generous with the salary cap, knowing that with the COVID year that the salary uh, cap dropped dramatically, which impacted the way the teams built their teams in terms of contracts. You know, they were expecting a $220 million cap for 2022, and that's not what's going to happen. So, you know, we we, we gave a little bit more rope to work with, which should help dramatically in that space. It's interesting the effect that had on our uh, our tuning set and kind of how we had to react to it. I I will say one of my least favorite parts of that was the fact that the – the example that people kept using of who we had to get right was Devontae Adams. Personally, like talking about Devontae Adams as a free agent, not my favorite part of the the ongoing discussions. But uh, hopefully things have calmed down here a little bit uh, this week. And I think it's pretty realistic that the Packers aren't going to re-sign him. So, you know, let's just keep moving. Uh, <laughs> that, that hurts. That hurts a lot. Uh, so draft classes, I know we did plenty of tuning already on those to begin with. But we you know, re- really prioritized making sure that higher level players had a higher percent chance of having a quality dev trait. I know that that's been feedback that we had received in the past. So, you know, trying to get the players of first round to have most likely be the stars to replicate how we do things on the uh, on the roster side for the season while still having gems throughout the year. We added a few more generators to the mix which will produce some special specialized players, some some higher level talent in certain areas. On top of that, we did a lot of super sim tuning. We finally, uh, the committee playtest did not have the super sim changes in it. And we did a tremendous amount there, both in terms of fatigue and in terms of statistics. Probably one of our biggest updates we've made to that in a number of years, just through all the tools that we had and what we made changes to. So, you know, I think you're really going to like the results, having a little bit more logic in who gets what statistics and then better rushing stats for mobile quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, et cetera. All these things have a player that was at the heart of the discussion. And, you know, Devontae Adams was at the heart of the free agency one. And 
and I still don't know why or love it. But <laughs> Lamar Jackson was definitely at the heart of the of the sim tuning stats discussion. Uh, yep, Christian McCaffrey on the running back reception statistic. Clint, I know that we've talked about that at <laughs> at depth about you know McCaffrey getting those those receptions. So that's significantly higher. Uh, Stole my MVP last year. <laughs> <laughs> we'll try. Try drafting him again this year and then have better luck when I drafted him and went down for five games, I think, like week one. You know, maybe I shouldn't have been handing him the ball literally every play, but uh, I didn't feel like I really had another choice. But yep. uh, it, it, didn't wor- it didn't work out. So, yep. On top of that, we added some new news content, refreshed some of the things there. We have two more bullet points. Do you want to start with the, the coordinators? Well, yeah, no, th- yeah, let's do that. I mean, staff hiring and firing and making sure that we catch as much authenticity as we can in terms of what the transactions can look like. Some of the feedback was, what about coordinators? So they'll be dealt with a little bit differently in terms of their mobility as we get to the launch window, promoting them to a head coaching position, for instance. So we'll yeah. keep working on that. I mean, again, it's getting the right amount of energy towards the mobility and what weeks of the year. It's an interesting system to get right. And especially against the authenticity versus what's clear, making sure there aren't exploits where coordinators can get pulled away at the wrong time, et cetera. So that's things we're keeping an eye on as we go forward. And I think you'll see more tuning throughout the course of the year in that whole system until we get it to where we really want it to be. Yep. The more feedback, the better on that. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's a lot of things we can choose to do, but knowing what gamers want and how they're responding to what they already have will be an important thing that we'll be listening for. Yeah, and the last the last bullet I put on the list, a uh, little bit similar to the stuff that Clint was talking about at the end, customization was a big theme, uh, a major theme. And that's a thing that we we hear it, we're on board too. We don't want to do a little bit of it if we do it. Um, you know, we talked about things like just adding a more uniform options would be great, but that feels like what, that's not really what people want. They want us to go deep into rebranding of the franchises or having more movement options. So we definitely hear you. It's definitely a topic for us all the time. We're excited about that and we're going to get it right, but it's going to be not in 22 as we go into that more deeply. But we're talking about it an awful lot right now in the office for good reason. So keep your ear to the ground. Hopefully we have something to share on that before too long with everybody. That's kind of it for us. I mean, uh, we, again, thanks for all the feedback that we got on franchise. A lot of people played it. A lot of people gave feedback. It's clearly it's a passionate group or clear. It's a passionate group, which we appreciate. And we, we take very seriously, like Clint said on gameplay, it's a passionate group. Uh, love all the people playing. There's a lot of people that we saw and even took that next step to put in the effort to give feedback, which is even more appreciated. It was a play test. And the playtest isn't useful unless we hear from the community. So thank you for that. Very much appreciated. That's what we got. Uh, Clint and Nick, you guys have anything else you want to add before we uh, move on? just want to say thanks for including the gameplay, guys. Another podcast we love to be on. And everyone got to get the greatness of Nick Farah today, which is like <laughs> Live from the EA Philadelphia office. Oh, so. shucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the army of one EA Philadelphia straight so. from the streets to you guys. Yep. There you go. <laughs> I will yeah, note, and I'm sure I'm breaking some radio rule here. Uh, it is amazing to me. Like we're sitting on the zoom call so we can kind of look at each other's faces. Clint, who is in fact a large human being has managed to find an animal 
to have as a pet that is, is proper scale. He may have a small horse that he's keeping in his house. I can't quite tell, but it, it is it is truly impressive. So yeah, it's uh, like the opposite of like the Shire. Like everything in his house has to be made bigger. Yeah, it's not it's <laughs> yeah. not a hobbit hole. It's it's more of an ent an ent dwelling. <laughs> if we're gonna keep geek out into the whole Lord of the Rings thing. Okay, well, thanks everybody for the time today. It was a good talk. I love talking about playtests. It's fun yep. to have the game that close. Not long now, and we'll have it out wide scale in all the gamers' hands. And everybody that participated in the playtest, thank you for helping us make the game better before we hit that point. So, Andre, you want to take us out? Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us for the sixth episode of the Making Madden podcast. Be on the lookout for future episodes of the podcast throughout the NFL season as Tom and I will be back to share more stories around Making Madden. We're excited for you guys to get your hands on Madden NFL 22, and it drops on August 20th. If you want to play the game three days early, you can by pre-ordering the Dynasty Edition or MVP Edition today and take advantage of those bonus staff points for your franchise. See you next time.